This is Kismet, the adventure of the survivors of the vengeance, a fantasy novel shared a chapter at a time. Written by C. Raphael Lunt and read by the author. Chapter 1. Angels Over a Solstice Candle The damselfly, sleek and electric blue, landed on Fiona's knee. Fiona sat on the ship's deck in a snug turquoise dress, her back against the cabin. The breeze blew an abundance of tightly curled hair around her acorn-brown face. "'Where have you come from, little fellow?' she asked the damselfly. "'Have you been with us the whole time?' She looked closer, tracing the filigree of its wings. Black lines ran the length, bridged by crossing lines, etching a mosaic of triangles and squares. "'Will you be surprised to find yourself alone in a strange country when we land?' she asked softly. A young man thumped down beside her, and the damselfly popped up and zipped off. Fiona frowned and regarded the intruder. He smiled through a three-day beard, framed by a bright red bandana around his neck. He swept a lock of thick blonde hair behind his ear and offered his hand. "'Fellow refugee,' he said, "'where are you coming from?' Ryan's green, she said, placing her hand palm down into his. I'm Brody. Fiona, ouch, she started. She cleared her throat. Just Fiona. Greetings. Well, I've never been on a ship before. He pointed at the baffling array of cordage that stretched from the railing to the sails and masts above. Any idea what any of this does? Well, said Fiona, perking up, in Thompson's Book of Seamanship, There is some detail on the benefit of different sail configurations and the necessary rigging, Brody laughed. Bookworm, are you? Fiona's face darkened, and she turned up her nose. Yes, what of it? Never found books any help at the mine, said Brody. The only way to learn something is to put your hands on it. My father, she replied, was a wise man, and that did not require manual labor. Much can be obtained by observation. Well, then he said, gesturing to the paddle wheel. Tell me how that works. Fiona watched the glistening paddles pass up, over, and down to slap the water below. This ship, the Vengeance, was the first ship with paddle wheels she'd seen. Thompson's book of seamanship, printed before she was born, was no help, but the smug look on Brody's face pushed her to venture a guess. Smoke emerges from the chimneys of the ship, Heat from the fires turns great fans, like the brass angels spinning over a solstice candle. The fans turn the wheels. Well, I give you credit. That's close. He sat back and nodded. The mine imported a Sjalvstiri engine to pump water, and I helped with it. He reached forward and touched Fiona's hair. She pulled back. Although accustomed to such attention, she was not in a charitable mood. You forget yourself, sir. Embarrassed, Brody readied an apology when a shadow pressed down on them. They looked up to see the first mate, his lips pursed. Please go below. He moved on to address other refugees on the deck. Brody stood and offered a hand to Fiona. She accepted his hand and rose, for the first time seeing the wall of cloud massing on the horizon. A hot white flicker of lightning snapped against the black felt of the storm front. Fiona looked up. Ash-gray lobes twisted and danced on the underside of the clouds. Without speaking, they both walked down the hatchway into the salon below. Passengers crowded the tables in the great room. 
Thick masts passed from the deck above to the deck below, breaking the room into thirds. Fiona and Brody walked between the tables to the front third of the salon, where a group of men stood quietly around the largest table. Despite the poverty of the passengers, a respectable heap of copper coins sat in the middle of the table. A young man with periwinkle-colored eyes looked over the top of his cards at the double-chinned man opposite. He added a card, face-up, to the set in front of him. He threw another coin onto the pile with slender fingers. The double-chinned man added a card to his tableau and pushed the last of his coins into the middle. The blue-eyed boy smiled, dropped the rest of his cards face-up onto the table, and reached with both hands to rake the pile toward himself. The crowd around the table laughed and started chatting. "'Wait!' protested the double-chinned man. "'How do you know you won?' The blue-eyed boy gestured to his cards. "'Right and left bower. Page of Trump, ten of wands.' He resumed raking his winnings. The double-chinned man stood. "'I could have another Trump!' "'No, the king is gone, and the bowers would draw out your queen.' The double-chinned man, growing red, fumbled at his belt and pulled out a short knife. "'You cheated!' All conversation stopped. A broad-shouldered, barrel-chested young man stepped out of the crowd, arms crossed. He wore a sailor's hat, round, flat, and visorless. A forest green ribbon at the base of the hat, printed with the name of the ship, demarcated a round face, deeply tanned. He had the narrow eyes of an islander. He stepped behind the blue-eyed boy and put a hand on his chair. I'll second, he said. The crowd drew in a breath. What does that mean? whispered Fiona to Brody. He's offering to back the kid in a duel with the guy who called him a cheater. The double-chinned man looked around in desperation. People moved away from him. Shaking, he put his knife into his belt and held up his hands. Apologize, said the islander. The double-chinned man swallowed, mumbled, sorry, and quickly moved off, almost tripping over his chair. The chatter started up again. The blue-eyed boy stood and offered his hand to the islander. Sanin. The islander's thick hand swallowed Sanin's slender fingers. Temer. Thank you, said Sanin, but why did you offer to help? Honor. Sanin considered Temer and nodded. Didn't like that guy either, concluded Temer. Sanin sat down and started collecting cards. Who's in? I'm in, said Brody. Fiona watched Brody take a chair and bit her lip. May I join? she asked. No women, said one of the men at the table. Sanin stopped mid-shuffle. She plays, or I leave. No women, insisted the man. Sanin placed the deck of cards in the middle of the table, and the other gamblers watched wistfully as the coins disappeared into a pouch at Sanin's belt. As Sanin stood, another man slid into his seat. Sanin held out his hand to Fiona. Sanin Mickelson. Fiona curtsied. Fiona, I am distressed I ruined your game. Sanin gestured away from the table, and they walked the length of the salon away from the gamblers. Fiona took in Sanin's clothes. Careful stitching at the seams and needlework on the chest said money, but the burnt orange color was ten years out of style. And there was the way Sanin's hand clutched the purse at his belt and that he was on a comfort ship. Do not be distressed, he said. I needed a justification to leave while I was ahead. 
you offered me a timely excuse. The Queen of Wands was not yet revealed, said Fiona. Sanan stopped and studied Fiona. She recognized the look. Fiona had blossomed young. People said she had her mother's figure and mane of hair, although Fiona had only the painting to go by. From the corner of her eye, she would catch the men at the estate, slowing their work to cast lingering glances. The rougher tenants wouldn't even bother hiding their interest. But it wasn't that look. It was the look the stablemaster or the smarter merchants would give her after she said something clever, a moment when they reconsidered her. Well, not that I have played, said Fiona awkwardly, but I have read The Art of Cart. Sanan grinned. I hadn't played yet either, until today. I was relying on the same book. My father, Fiona eagerly began, but before she could finish her thought, a loud bang echoed down from the deck above, and the ship heeled to the side. At the gambling table, cards and coins slid across the felt, dropping onto the floor. People lurched and stumbled, and the air pulsed as wind roared across the hatchways above the salon. The squall hit the vengeance directly from the side. The sailors had been taking down canvas, but what sail was still up pressed the ship so far to the side that the starboard paddle wheel spun free above the water. A sailor grabbed an axe and brought it down on the line holding the main staysail. The rope hissed as it whipped through the block, and the staysail flew out into the wind. The ship settled back toward True, and the starboard paddle wheel clawed at the foamy surface of the ocean. The double-chinned gambler staggered up the last of the steps into the wheelhouse, where the captain strained against the ship's wheel. Captain, I wish to lodge a complaint! The captain looked over his shoulder, incredulous. In his native tongue, Sjalvstiri, he barked to his first mate, Remove this idiot from the wheelhouse! The first mate moved toward him. I paid my passage, insisted the gambler. I have a right to be heard. A breathless sailor squeezed past him to enter the wheelhouse. Four feet in the well, sir. Deccan, swore the captain. Man the pumps! The first mate addressed the breathless sailor. All crew not taking down sail to the pumps. Go! Ignoring the fat gambler, he stepped back to the captain and said quietly in Sjalvstiri, Did it flood when the port paddle wheel went under? I hope that's all, replied the captain in Sjalvstiri. I feel her working under the strain. I don't understand you, said the gambler. Speak ADS. Are you still here, said the captain. Get out and keep quiet. The first mate moved toward the gambler, who turned on his heel and fled down the stairs. The captain continued to lean into the wheel, and the ship slowly came into the wind, settling back onto an even keel. Down below, the gambler moved through the salon, clutched passengers one by one, and whispered loudly, We are sinking! Brody joined Fiona and Sanan. Did you hear? Water's coming into the boat! Is there anything we can do? asked Fiona. I don't know, said Brody. But if the water reaches the boilers, we're in trouble. Why? asked Fiona. We'll lose power. They won't be able to steer, said Brody. We could capsize. In the wheelhouse, the first mate reported to the captain. We're down to a mizzen storm stay sail. Pumps are manned. Six feet in the well, sir. I want a sea anchor 
and two lookouts lashed to the rigging, said the captain. There's a line of reef to our lee, and we're losing easting fast. He risked a glance at his mate. How many feet before we reach the bottom of the boilers? Eight feet, sir. The captain stared at the binnacle, the pedestal that housed the ship's compass. He swallowed. Send two sailors to guard my cabin. Start the passengers on a bucket brigade. Should I free the prisoners to help, sir? No, said the captain. No. The mate walked into the salon, where people clustered in anxious groups. They huddled quietly, listening to the wind howl and the rain hiss on the deck above. The mate walked over to Temer, the broad-shouldered islander. You, ordinary, what's your name? Temer. You're going to help keep order. Take the forward stair. Temer moved to the forward stair. Attention, passengers, said the mate. The men will form lines to pass buckets of water from below. I want one line on the forward stair, one on the aft stair. Are we sinking? called out a terrified passenger. No, there is just too much water below. Do not panic. Form lines. The mate disappeared down the aft stair. Sanin and Brody moved to the stairway, and Fiona followed. The mate returned from below. Seeing Fiona, he said, Sorry, miss, just the men. Fiona frowned, but dutifully shuffled away from the line. As the first bucket came up the stairs, she spotted the fat gambler slipping into one of the cabins. Sanin fumbled as he grabbed the bucket, slopping oily water on the deck. He passed it to Brody, who, in turn, passed it to a stout man in black further up the stairs. It made its way to the top, where the last man threw the water into the screaming wind. The water atomized and disappeared in the spray. Bucket after bucket made its way up the stairwells. Muscles warmed, and the passing of buckets took on a rhythm and grew smoother. Fiona walked up the line, giving encouragement to the men. She noticed ash and coal dust floating on the top of the water. Why is the water so dirty? she asked. The coal bins are flooded, said Sanin. The water's dropping, called up a voice from below, and everyone cheered. The mate ran into the wheelhouse to share the good news. Keep them at it, said the captain. The rain has reduced, sir, said the mate, walking up to the rain-splattered front porthole. The wind is just as strong, countered the captain. The mate leaned forward and looked out the porthole. Vaporous indigo threads danced on the ends of the yard arms, the long poles from which the sails were hung. St. Elmo's fire. A warning. Captain! The lightning flash transformed into a blinding cylinder of light as it shot through the porthole. The lightning bolt shattered the middle of the foremast, the frontmost wooden pole that held up the sails. The mass of wood, rope, and canvas hung in the air for the briefest moment before it dropped toward the deck. Enough of the standing rigging held that the mast caught and tipped to the side in jerks as more of the lines parted. On deck to cut it away, shouted the captain. The foremast continued its halting fall until, at last, it plunged off the side of the ship, but there it stopped, tangled in the anchor chain. As the ship breasted the next wave, the stump of the upper mast hammered against the hull. The mate ran down the stairs, calling to Temer as he passed, Grab an axe and get on deck! The thump of the mast thrummed through the ship. 
the grim beat of a leviathan drum. Temer grabbed an axe as he passed the rack and sprung up through the forward hatch. He moved to the shroud lines, stretched taut across the deck, and raised his axe. The rope parted with an audible snap. More sailors filled in behind him, their eyes wide, their jaws set. They hacked at the wreckage. The last line parted, and the debris dropped into the sea. A scrap of yardarm, still tied to the remnants of the foremast, swept the deck, knocking sailors off their feet. A knot of shredded canvas and cordage whipped over Temmer's foot, dropping him to the deck, whipping him around, and he too disappeared through a gap in the railing. Man overboard! yelled the mate. This has been Chapter One. Next time, learn the fate of Temmer and the passengers of the Vengeance. Until next time, 